Hello, welcome to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As usual, we bring you exclusive insight and stories from David and our team of writers. Coming up today, we've got the best lines from David's columns. That includes Arsenal News, obviously, uh, as they open talks. (laughs) Uh, Well, it does, doesn't it? I mean, that is a fact. It does include Arsenal News. It does, fact. Right, Okay. I I I don't want to sound like anybody else, but I only deal in facts. Um, Good. uh, Their opening talks to tie down a young striker, so we'll talk about that. We'll also talk Mm -hmm. about Olivier Giroud. Uh, and his future at Chelsea. Uh, We'll be joined by the Athletics' Adam Crafton as well, who's been talking exclusively to Sean Wright-Phillips about some of the secrets of Jose Mourinho's success. To read all the articles we discuss on today's podcast in full, simply head to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman to sign up for just £1 a week. And David's YouTube show, Ask Ornstein, continues this week. Subscribers can submit questions in the comments section of David's weekly column on The Athletic. And then on Thursday on this feed, I'll be back with Matt Slater for our new podcast, The Business of Sport. Right, let's start this pod then, David, uh, with Olivier Giroud. The Athletic Simon Johnson revealed last week that he wants to leave Chelsea. He's had an update of that, which is in your column this week. Yeah, that's right. Simon reports that Chelsea are very sort of sympathetic to Giroud's situation. And if they get to January with, uh, you know, their first choice strikers, Timo Werner and Tammy Abraham fit and in form, then uh, there's a very good chance with Giroud playing so little football so far this season uh, that he will be granted what would most probably by them be a, a clear wish to leave and get back playing regular football especially with Euro 2021 and his place in the French national team at stake. Didier Deschamps, the French coach, has talked about him needing to play. He's got a great record for France. He's actually contributed very significantly for Chelsea since joining from Arsenal uh, a few years ago. He's 34 now, uh, so he does want to be playing regularly. He was linked in the summer, of course, very heavily with the likes of Inter Milan. Even a move to Tottenham was proposed. Uh, It didn't happen. Chelsea sort of blocked that. They wanted him to stay. I think it caused a little bit of friction at the time, but he's he's a model professional. He took it well in the end, got back playing, and and you know he as we've seen only at the weekend, he's always available when he's needed. But he's he's played very little football so far this season. I think Chelsea in the past, with the likes of Cesc Fabregas, uh, Branislav Ivanovic, have sort of taken a sensible common sense approach to these sorts of things players who have given them long service um, or relatively long service and and have always performed well behaved well etc have been looked upon in a very good way when the time is right so yeah there's a good chance that Olivier Giroud will be leaving Chelsea in January but it could still depend on injuries etc and we've seen once before with his situation that it could change yeah but uh, I mean you describe him as a model professional that's exactly what he is I was I was going to say Every, feels to me like every club needs a Olivier Giroud, somebody yeah. that always does a job. And when I say does a job, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I mean, does a job really well. You can always rely on him, never seems to, to cause a fuss, gets on with it. And also the kind of individual that when the time comes to leave a club is treated with respect and is allowed to leave in the way he wants to and go where he wants to. Yeah, and I think in an ideal world, Chelsea and their fans would like that person to stay. Yeah. It's just so pressing with the Euros this summer and like he's breaking records for France. He's crucial to them, but they can't really have a player who's playing a bit part role. Now, we've seen with so many clubs, injury situations, suspension, etc., this congested and truncated season that you kind of do need as many players as as you can. There 
there are many clubs who are looking at not loaning out or selling in January, keeping a few extra players than they perhaps normally would for that very reason. But all being well at Chelsea with, with as I said, form and fitness of uh, Abraham and, and Werner, then it does seem like a, a, a sort of sensible thing to do. But don't underestimate the role Giroud's played. He helped them to an FA Cup, to a Europa League title as well, and scored some really important goals. If you look back on it, despite some criticism along the way, he's had a brilliant career in English football, and he kind of does a role that nobody in the Premier League right now does in a similar way, certainly not as effectively. So, yeah, whatever happens, I wish Giroud well. He's, he's a... Um, he's a Really good player and, and a good person too. Also in the column news that Southampton uh, are one of several clubs looking at Brandon Williams. Yeah, I'm going through stories here that have nothing to do with me. So I'm really proud of my colleagues and a little <laughs> bit embarrassed about the fact that I haven't uh, been involved in the reporting. This is Dan Sheldon and Laurie Whitwell. Um, Laurie, as you'll point out, is is basically taking over this column and podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, Brandon Williams sort of played quite an important role for Man United last season and, and was taken to the high of fans, homegrown player, etc. But game time has been much more limited in recent times and so f- therefore in the summer window, Southampton expressed late interest. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer blocked that. He wanted Williams to be an option for him. You know, he can play on both fullback positions. At that point, they hadn't brought in uh, Alex Telles from Porto and obviously Luke Shaw there at left back as well. Aaron Wambasaka on the right. Telles then did come in. So on the left, it's kind of blocked Williams' path. On the right, Wambasaka never seems to get injured. And so it's come to the situation where they're now looking at January and Southampton are back in the frame once again. I think there'll be a number of other clubs interested too, but as the guys report, Southampton and Ralph Hassenhutl are really keen to reinforce at fullback, provide competition for places with Carl Walker-Peters and Ryan Bertrand. So, yeah, it could be a really interesting one. It would only be alone and, you know, he's a, a young player with a bright future. So, yeah, Brandon Williams uh, could be one of many players who who make loan moves in the January window. Straight loan, because Carl Walker-Peters, for example, when they did that deal, was a loan to buy, wasn't it? So, so this would be just a straight loan and he'd go back, presumably. You're putting me on the spot now because I probably should have read every word of well, the, the, the guys. Column. reporting is my column but as far as I know United would only consider a loan at best we may not see them let him go at all and I certainly don't see them putting an option in that as things stand and and I would just direct everyone to the column and then if I'm wrong send me lots of abuse on social media yeah no no <laughs> nobody does that friendly Surely. abuse friendly nobody abuse. Gives you abuse on social media <laughs> the other thing I would say is that yeah well you know he's a right-footed player who has played left-back, but as you say, he can cover right-back as well. But Solskjaer this season seems to have used Fossi Mensa as the understudy to Wan-Bissaka rather than Brandon Williams uh, Mm. on the right side. Let me just give you an insight into uh, how this podcast works every week. David is in in one place, I'm in another place. Obviously, that's that's how it has to be recorded at the moment. Uh, And we have a producer as well in a different place again. And we're all able to communicate via a Google Doc whilst we record the podcast. So any notes, any thoughts any of us has goes into the Google Doc as we record. Because you sounded so pitiful and worried when you talked about Laurie, uh, the uh, producer has gone into into the notes and has uh, highlighted your in red and underlined <laughs> twice for this next I've just bit. Seen it. For the next Cheers, bit, I'm AD. going to read. So, so 
David. At least AD is nice to me. Yes. Here we, let, me, let me read it so it gives you proper emphasis. This is what our producer <laughs> wants me to say now. Uh, David, we'll discuss your Arsenal news from your <laughs> column later on in the pod. Next up, though, something that's nothing to do with David. We'll find oh, out why. Loved. <laughs> Last. There you go. Why Sean Wright Phillips thinks Jose Mourinho is a lot cleverer than you think. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So we're joined by the Athletics' Adam Crafton to talk about Sean Wright-Phillips because Adam's done a, a great uh, chat with the former Manchester City uh, and Chelsea winger. He's played under some very different managers over his time, including, of course, Jose Mourinho. How did he reflect on his career in his interview with you? Uh, it was interesting. I mean, I couldn't believe he's 40 next year. I think that's wow. made me feel so old. Um, and I'm not that old. Um, but that, that was, I think, the <laughs> yeah, first right, interview I've done. Yeah, all right, Adam, back in your box. <laughs> But that, it was one of the first interviews I've done where you'd sort of notice someone's age and you're like, how did that happen? But but he was interesting on his career because he, he sort of disappeared a little bit from the landscape of English football around the time he was at Queen's Park Rangers. Then he went to play in America and then he retired three years ago and he, he doesn't speak very often. So I thought he was interesting, particularly about those days at Chelsea under when Jose Mourinho signed him. And they had this cast of four wingers with Arjen Robben, Damien Duff, Joe Cole and Sean Wright Phillips. And the diversity variety of those options it is, is amazing when you when you look back on it and it was a fabulous Chelsea side he was part of the FA Cup winning team in 2007 part of the squad that got to the Champions League final there with Avram Grant then he goes back to Manchester City and he was with Mark Hughes Roberto Mancini signed a couple of days before the takeover and then he was at QPR during a really bizarre time in QPR's history as well he's had a lot of interesting experiences um, he was also interesting talking about his teenage years where he was released by Nottingham Forest for being too small, being told on a train journey back from London to Nottingham, having originally been told that they were going to give him a a YTS scheme deal. And then they changed their mind when he was on the train back, got a phone call saying, actually, guys, Sean, we don't want you very much. So he then ends up at Manchester City when they were in the third tier. So really interesting trajectory and um, uh, worth reading him. What does life sort of look like feel like growing up for someone related to Ian Wright <laughs> it's fascinating I mean he talk, he he never talks too much about the, the dynamics of his relationship with, with Ian Wright obviously they are very close adopted father clearly really really strong strong relationship and a lot of pressure as well but I think what's fascinating is obviously they're very different kinds of players um, but there was always going to be this expectation on Sean because of who his, who his adopted father was in, in Ian Wright. But uh, what was interesting, he did mention there was this option before he went to Chelsea where Arsenal were interested in him as well at the time. Manchester City had to sell him in 2005 pretty much to save the club from financial ruin is the way that he worded it. City would have had to wait for Arsenal sort of um, until the next transfer window to be able to fund it, whereas Chelsea could do it straight away. So it would have been fascinating to see how it played out if Sean Wright Phillips had gone to Arsenal um, with all the expectation that that would have come with that. He strikes me as very much... a, a footballer defined by the period that each of his clubs was in when he joined them or who was managing them. And often we talk about sportsmen and women that 
it's a bit of luck here or a bit of luck there, depending on who their coach is or who a teammate might be or, or the financial situation of a club. It can define an individual's career. What did he say about working with Jose Mourinho? When I looked at his career at Chelsea, I think his first season, 2005-2006, they won the league. But, you know, you look at, you go on soccer base and look at his stats and it didn't look like he was necessarily firing on all cylinders in the way he had been at Manchester City. And then he was left out of the Champions League final squad against Manchester United under Avram Grant. So looking at his career at Chelsea, you're thinking, well, it was good, but it wasn't sensational. So I was half going into the interview thinking, well, I'm not sure how his relationship would have been with Jose Mourinho at the time. But he was, I mean, it was as positive as I've ever heard anyone really? talk, about, talk about Mourinho. Yeah, I mean, he wow. was saying, he was talking about, you know, these personal touches that he brings to his management. So he said at the time he would take his uh, son along to training. And he'd be training at 100 miles an hour with John Terry, Frank Lampard, Didier Drogba. And he'd look over to the side and he'd see Jose Mourinho kicking the ball around with his son and just playing <laughs> football with his son as the players kick, kick uh, lumps out of each other. <laughs> and he said every time he sees Mourinho since, the first thing he always says is, how is your son? And it's quite interesting when you think about the, the things that players remember. There's always the things that we as journalists or fans think about managers. But that was the first thing that came into... Sean Wright Phillips' head thinking about Jose Mourinho, the way he treated my son and the way that he asked about my family. And then the second element of it was he talked about this get this um, this Thursday before an FA Cup home game against Tottenham where he'd basically said to Sean Wright Phillips, you're not playing, but if we're losing, I want you to be ready and we're going to draw the game and then you're going to score the winning goal in the replay at White Hart Lane. And that's exactly how it played out. They <laughs> drew. They drew this. this <laughs> they drew this first game three all at Stamford Bridge. They went away from home. Shevchenko scored one, and Wright Phillips scored the other. Uh, and Wright Phillips said it was it was the nicest way of ever being told you're not going to be part of the team on, on Saturday because you're going to go and win us this game. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, Mourinho's not going to be intentionally drawing an FA Cup game, so he has to go away from home to Tottenham. But the way Wright Phillips had remembered it was Jose, had, he, he planned all this. He'd made yeah. this for, for me to score the winner. So it doesn't always make sense the way that players remember things, but but those were the things that came to mind. And he, I mean, he also just was talking about how premeditated Jose was and how exciting it was at the time to have this guy who was going into press conferences, you know, blowing the world down blowing taking down whoever he needed to do I think these days it's probably a bit more you know it's a bit more tedious but when Jose's on top and he's throwing barbs left right and centre it, it is exciting it is exciting and exhilarating is Sean Wright Phillips something of a sort of victim in the era that he grew up in in a not too dissimilar way to Joe Cole of being a really creative player nimble skillful at a time where a lot of managers and and a club manager they played for in Mourinho was looking for a sort of more physical, less unpredictable, a more regimented style footballer. And would he have made a greater impact for club and country if he was perhaps in a different era or been a different style of player? Well, I think there's two, there's two elements of it. The first one is to do with the height um, and the perceptions of height, which have clearly evolved to a certain extent. Though he was he, he, he was talking about Tariq Lamptey, um, who was obviously at Chelsea last season. And when it came to a decision of who are we going to sell, is it going to be Tariq Lamptey or Reese James? I know there was a contractual situation as well there. But he, he was saying, well, you know, in terms of which young, 
uh, which young players are, are given a chance. Is it going to be the big physical one or is it the small and more nimble one? Uh, and he, he referred to Lamptey as an example of maybe smaller players still not always being fully trusted because you watch Lamptey now for Brighton and to me, he looks more than capable of playing at Chelsea, not to take oh, anything yeah. away from Rhys James, who also looks fantastic. They're spoiled for choice, really, um, in those positions. But you use that as, as an example. I think on your other point, with in terms of Mourinho being quite regimented, he actually said the opposite. He was talking about Roberto Mancini, and he struggled under Roberto Mancini to get a run of games and also just to fully understand what it was he wanted. And that was he was saying a lot with Mancini... Um, was often quite regimented, um, a lot of instructions in the attacking play. It could be quite feel quite rehearsed. And he was saying, I'm you know, a very natural player. I had raw pace. I wanted to exploit that. And he said under Mourinho, that's exactly what he had, that it was a, a case of to those attacking players, we get the ball to you, go and do your thing. Yeah, we want you to contribute to the defensive effort to make sure everyone's defending from the front. But actually, as far as the front three or four go, you go and do your thing, you go and express yourself and there's not too many instructions. And I think this is probably one of the things we maybe misinterpret at times is that it's probably more restrictive at times to play under a Bielsa, a Guardiola who gives so many instructions to that attacking play and it probably creates more beautiful football eventually if it works. But actually a Mourinho just says, just go and do your stuff. What's he doing now? He's deciding what he's going to do um, in a way that <laughs> in a way that you probably can after quite a long time in the yeah. Premier League. He's done a um, bit of media, hasn't he? he yeah, he, he's done some media. Um, he's developing some apps. He's also looking at coaching um, badges as well and some mentoring of young players. So I think he's deciding, you know, what that next concrete step's going to be for him. And does he have a child in the system? He's yeah, he's got one at Manchester yeah. City. Um, which is also, I mean, that, which would make it three generations. And obviously, there's um, Bra- Bradley. Uh, Bradley as well, um, his brother, who's had a fantastic career in the States. Mm-hmm. So clearly, um, you know, great pedigree um, to, go, to go and do that. I mean, it's one of those things where I think there's always a little bit of discomfort where you're asking, a, you know, someone to talk about, a, a former player talking about their son coming through. I think that there's always a little bit of uneasiness about yeah. not wanting to put pressure on them, not wanting to make it, oh, he's Ian Wright's grandson, Sean Wright Phillips' son, Bradley Wright Phillips' nephew. Yeah, oh, well, you, you think you feel old talking to Sean Wright Phillips at 40. Trust me, when <laughs> Wrighty starts mentioning his grandson to me, I'm like, oh, my God. In the week that Ian Botham's grandson played for Wales as well, it's like, God, Botham's grandson. Uh, anyhow, you mentioned Guardiola there. He, he signed a new contract, David. The Athletics' Jack Pitt Brook has written a piece with, with the headline, Can Manchester City Rise Again? under Pep Guardiola. Did, did the contract announcement take you both by surprise, David, first? It didn't take me by surprise, given that, from what I was hearing, Manchester City hadn't explored any other options in a concrete fashion, in a really advanced way. And when I interviewed Omar Barada, their COO, he said they were purely focused on Pep renewing. They were talking to him. The conversation was fluid and positive and it really struck me that their sole focus was renewing him. If you step back and look at it from a wider perspective, I am somewhat surprised. He hadn't managed for this long at any club in his career. It's clear that City are in 
need of quite significant rejuvenation to get the team to where they want to be and where he wants them to be to be really vying for for the top honours and I don't know and we reported and and so much has changed in the last year but around this time last year people were saying to me that you know they can't see Pep going beyond the 2019 to 20 season they didn't know that there was a pandemic coming and and the stability that being in a job and being under contract and and having continuity provides was probably appealing for both Pep and and for City I don't know if there's some sort of break clause in this contract there have been reports saying it's sort of one year with an option of an extra 12 months and it will be very interesting to see if Pep goes right the way through or whether this was an agreement that was based more on convenience and keeping the relationship going so you don't have to factor in the other scenario which is life after Pep uh, and that's a, a huge question in its own right. Adam? I'm really surprised by it, to be honest. I mean, notwithstanding, you know, whether City had a, necessarily an alternative or a plan for it. I just think if you watch Manchester City over the past 12 to 18 months, I think they've got worse. I think they're continuing to get worse. I can't think of that many players who have really improved during the past 12 months. You know, I look at players like Edison. I think his performances have dropped. Bernardo Silva, I think they've got a big problem in midfield where Rodri is not doing what Fernandinho did in that role. And they've got an issue up front. I can't understand why having... I mean, they continue to spend so much on defenders. Why, why on earth they didn't sign a striker in the summer? And, and then, you know, obviously they lost Sane. I know Ferran Torres comes in and he looks like he's got potential. But, uh, you know, the, the, the issues of 12 months ago, I mean, there was, there was the Manchester derby last, uh, last December where they lost 2-1 at home. And the problem they had that day was United just cutting through them on the counter-attack. And it feels like since then, that has just been the template for teams to, to really destabilise them. And, it, and they've gone from being incredibly difficult to play against to all of a sudden, actually, you know, you soak up the pressure, you ride your luck a little bit, and then you know you're going to get chances and pretty good chances at that. And that's what Tottenham did again at the weekend. And I, I think it's happening too often and they're just not scoring enough goals either. Adam, I mentioned that when I reported on it last year, a lot of people were saying to me they thought it was going to come to an end in the summer. Mm. And one of the reasons they gave was that that they were feeling it so far in advance is that Man City would need to plan a long way in advance because taking over from Pep is an unenviable task. So much has been built around him. You know, the Catalan hierarchy they've got there, it's really been tailor-made for Pep. And it was from before he arrived at Manchester City. They were were awaiting that day. So somebody coming in, it's going to be incredibly difficult. I know that Maurizio Pochettino was watching the situation at Man City and some have suggested that, you know, they like him as a potential future manager. I've also heard people say they admire Brendan Rodgers. They'll have their eyes across the whole of world football for the eventual successor um but how uh, difficult do you think it will be for for city's next manager whoever that may be it depends how badly it goes over, over the next yeah. six months yeah if, if city you know come back which is quite possible with the quality of players they have you know and kick on and come a close second you know i think already it's looking difficult for them to to win the league i know it's really early but if they were to come a close second, get to the Champions League semi-finals, maybe the final with again with the quality they have, that, then it's different. But I think you know if they were to finish fourth, not do that one in the Champions League again, everyone's a bit tired of each other. Then I don't think it it would necessarily be so hard. I think the challenge is going to be, is that structure that they've built 
suitable for someone else? Can, can that structure that's being built around Pep adapt themselves to someone else coming in and saying, well, actually, I do things like that. He, did, he might have done it like that, but I'm going to do it like that because that's how I do things. I'm not here to be a Pep prototype. I'm here to be Mauricio Pochettino or Brendan Rodgers. I think if you're going to get char- characters like that in who are very self-confident, then you have to adapt to, the, to that person. And I think it's a really... I, I don't think we've ever really seen it before where a whole club has constructed itself to first attract and then satisfy one head coach in the way that City have done for Pep. And it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see whether that structure, whether it, first of all, whether it remains in place or whether it just, I suppose, in phases goes with Pep or whether they say, actually, no, you know, Chiqui Bagiriste, no Marburada, Ferran Soriano, that whole Catalan enclave, we're here for the long term and actually head coaches will just fall into our model. One more point on the longer term. I, I really wonder what Pep will do after this because conversations I've had around Barcelona have suggested that there is a desire among some of the presidential candidates to bring him back, but not in a head coach manager role, but in some kind of sort of sporting director, sporting appointment to the board, overarching running of the football side with the likes of uh, Xavi, Iniesta and, and certain other legends. We know how much he invests in in his club management. We, I'm sure he's done incredibly well financially out of it. I don't know, actually, if, if you know, post-City, what his management career holds it'd be very interesting to see yeah and I think the other question as well is what does it mean for Messi mm-hmm. you know City have, have, have you know at least on the surface are saying you know we've got Pep for another two years Messi's still not signed a contract at Barcelona that was the story of last summer there's naturally going to be a wave of speculation over the next few months in terms of what that means because I think for, is, I'm right in saying from January yeah. they can talk they yep. can talk to Messi so clearly that position becomes stronger but then I don't know I mean I watched the way City works off the ball the other day do they need someone who works who doesn't really do anything off the ball another year older next season in the Premier League I don't it's it seems almost blasphemous to talk to talk like that about whether Messi could be right for a team but I think that's going to be a really interesting element of it you would imagine Adam and I know I know it does sort of seem blasphemous but you would imagine that they are having these conversations at boardroom level because this is a 33 year old i know 34 year old who they would have to break their i'm guessing that their wage wage structure to get be there yeah and they haven't wanted to break that wage structure before we know when other players have have been available it's understandable if they are having conversations at boardroom level that are both positive and negative about the possible signing of Messi. They'd be negligent if they weren't looking at the negatives. Of course. And, you know, when I was just thinking back to what I said a few moments ago about them not having bought a striker, I mean, all of a sudden you think, well, what are they saving it for? You watch Chelsea on Saturday, Timo Werner looks fantastic. And you're thinking, why why weren't Man City properly in there for him? Why weren't Man City in that battle? Why didn't Man City go and get go harder to get Erling Haaland rather than wait for the you know the second time when Dortmund eventually sell him. Uh, and you just start to wonder, well, are they saving that budget for someone? So I, I think that's the conversation that, that will definitely develop over the next few months. And it'll be really interesting to see which side of the fence City fall down on. Good to have you on, Adam. Thank you. Cheers, Pleasure. Adam. See you soon, Cheers. guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Let's go back to your column then, David, just to finish the pod this week. And obviously the Arsenal news that we promised right at the beginning. And You're the gift that just keeps on giving. <laughs> um, they're going to reopen talks with a highly rated prospect. Yeah, following Balogun is a striker that many Arsenal fans and fans of England and the USA, because he's represented both of their uh, international teams at youth level, have been following closely, getting really excited about. He's got a prolific goal-scoring record at youth level. And a lot of those Arsenal fans were just desperate to sort of catch a glimpse of him. And he wasn't getting one. He wasn't training with the first-team squad. He wasn't getting any match minutes. And it emerged, and we reported it in my column earlier this year, year that he was set to leave because they couldn't reach an agreement over a new contract that expires in the summer of 2021. Arsenal in January of last year had turned down a £5 million bid from Brentford for him. There was further interest in him this summer from clubs, uh, among them Sheffield United, uh, and Chris Wilder had spoken publicly about that. And, you know, it seemed that Arsenal would be selling him because they wouldn't want to lose him on a free in 2021. Um, And even if they were going to, you imagine that somebody they're losing for a free uh, will not be played much. But then Mikel Arteta, obviously, in his first year as manager, he got to see him a little bit more and liked what he saw. After the restart, project restart he started training with the first team a little bit going into this season he then got an opportunity off the bench in the Europa League to make his his debut for the club at senior level and that seems to have changed the situation somewhat Arsenal have reinitiated negotiations over a new contract that's by no means to say that it will be signed but whereas it seemed like it was off before and he'd definitely be leaving there is now a possibility that he stays there will be plenty of interest in him we've heard talk of Germany and and again the domestic clubs but at least Arsenal now have a a glimmer of hope with Arteta really keen to keep hold of him give him opportunities and it it, it comes at an interesting time because obviously Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is Arsenal's number one striker he played centrally against Leeds uh, last in the Premier League Um, he hasn't scored for quite a long time and a lot of people are starting to pick up on that now Uh, it's not been quite as good for him since signing the new contract but hopefully he'll get back in form Uh, they've got Eddie Nketiah there Alexandre Lacazette has has not been in good form at all and he was dropped to the bench for the Leeds match they've got a couple of other options as well and if you're looking at the striker stroke wing position 
for somebody like Balogun, maybe, just maybe, there is a way in for him there. So I'm really keen to see how how this situation develops and it, and it's one that's going to be watched very closely by Arsenal fans. And what about what went on last week with Ceballos and, and David Luiz? You, you broke the story that that something happened during training. You took a battering for it uh, <laughs> on social media. Um, but you were right. Mikhail Arteta spoke about it last week. Yeah, the incident actually happened the previous week on the Friday and then we reported it last Thursday. A lot of people first asked why we were reporting it almost a week on. Well, we didn't know about it at the time and when we found out about it and made our normal check calls and properly sourced the story in in multiple different places, we decided it was of news value and, you know, quite interesting. It's not for us to judge why it happened or, or sort of how it came about and what it means afterwards. Yes, it came off the back of Arsenal's chasing defeat at home to Aston Villa 3-0 before the international break and those who who stayed behind uh, were involved in first team training and they played a 11 v 11 match on the Friday um, and that's when it happened you know um, it sounds like there was a challenge of sorts on Louise from Sabios and our information is that Louise reacted by striking Sabios in the face um, and there was some blood that emerged from a scratch. There was obviously a situation that needed to be diffused by the, the players and staff. The pair of them were sent in and home. A few others stayed out to continue their preparations uh, for the restart. Arsenal then had a few days off. They came back on Tuesday of last week and Arteta brought everyone together in the in the dressing room at London Colney and they talked it through. These things happen at training grounds and um, both of them apologised. I think Arteta left it to the players to decide whether they're ready to go forward and they all were. So training resumed as normal and hopefully uh, all is well and that they can use it in sort of positive fashion to create some fighting spirit. Maybe uh, Nicola Pepe took that a little bit far at, at Leeds. Uh, David Luiz wasn't involved in that game because of the birth of his child. No suggestion there's anything to do with that incident. But yeah, so um, obviously Danny Ceballos or somebody who sort of controls his media account posted fake after after our report was published uh, but it wasn't fake it, it did happen and um, we completely uh, stand by the story and the sourcing of the story and the value in running it a lot of people had different opinions and I've got total and utter respect for those opinions and you know we can we can debate it for a long time but and most people articulated it in the right way uh, some people didn't and and that's what happens on social media arteta the following day spoke in his media conference and sort of all but confirmed that there had been a, an incident he didn't want to elaborate and then later in the embargoed section of his press conference he talked a little bit more about it and not wanting these sort of stories coming out from inside the training ground that's when these sort of dynamics get quite difficult because as a journalist it's, it's your job to report things that have happened um, and clearly when you're dealing with clubs and organisations governing bodies and stuff that they don't want stuff coming out so it's a, a balancing act and I actually had a call from somebody the following day who had been speaking to a Premier League manager that manager had seen our story and told the guy I was speaking to that you know what this is not a bad thing if I was the Arsenal manager or somebody in the Arsenal hierarchy I'd be really pleased to see a bit of bite in training a sort of competitiveness that as somebody that's managed against them over the years there's been a bit of a sense that they might have been weak that they might not have had this sort of edginess about them and so perhaps 
it can come to be seen as a good thing. For their sake, I certainly hope so. But it's in the past now and, and hopefully those two and Arsenal and everybody else can, can move on. And uh, I think Arsenal have got some more important things on their plate now than, uh, than an incident that happened a couple of weeks ago in training. I don't break stories. That isn't That isn't my job. That is your job. So I look at it as a kind of, and you said it earlier on actually in what you were talking about, in that, you know, these things happen. And that's my view on it, really. These things happen. Yeah. Uh, and that's that. I can understand Arsenal not wanting it reported. I can understand some fans not wanting report, not wanting it reported. But if two players clash at trading, it has always been a story going going years and years back. It just, yeah. you know, that that's what that's what happens. But yeah. it's all it's all a bit of something and nothing in the end, isn't it? Exactly. And, you know, some people pointed out to me it's not every day in training that someone gets clunked on the nose and and it draws blood I don't know but I do know that these coming togethers and and little scraps scuffles call it what you like they they do happen quite regularly and it's kind of up to people if they want to read or hear about it or if they don't um you know in the same international break there was reportedly an incident in the Colombia squad involving James Rodriguez um Davinson Sanchez a couple of other players and Carlos Queros the coach it made much less news um I, I don't know because you know it's not involving a Premier League club per se um, but it it did make news to an extent and these incidents down the years a lot of people thought back to John Hartson and Niall Berkovic um, Alan Shearer uh, was was Alan Shearer in training with Neil Lennon no 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 that, no that was a that was that a was game, in a match that, that was when in he, a match when his foot actually went down the throat of uh, of Neil yes uh, yeah, so- yeah pure yeah pure <laughs> pure accident. Better be careful about your BBC colleague and my athletic uh, oh, fellow. No. Oh, no, God, no. I'm, I'm always happy to have a Shearer whenever yeah. I get the opportunity. So, and there's been like Mancini and Balotelli and, and these sorts of incidents. So, look, it was something that happened. It was um, of interest, we thought. Uh, some people disagreed and, and, and on you go. So, opinions, that's what football is all about. Right there, David. Uh, we'll leave the pod there for this week. Don't forget, David's YouTube video drops on Wednesday. Then I'm back Thursday alongside Matt Slater for the Business of Sport podcast. And then David and I reunited on this pod, which will drop next Tuesday. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, David. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.